back to Judges chapter 5. So, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, sings Deborah, and the clouds dripped water. And then verse 5, Deborah leaves present tense and goes past tense. She says, the mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now I had to think about this for a moment. Because she's present tense talking about the, the earthquake that happened and the, and the rain pouring down and how that, how that saved Israel in her day. And then she jumps back, at this time probably about 200 years, to Mount Sinai and the mountain quaking and shaking. And, I, and I'm thinking, why did you do that? Why are you doing that, Deborah? 200 years ago, she's saying, he shook Sinai. And today, he pours down from the heavens. She's tying the past and the present together, saying, this is the same God. The same God that we saw, that our forefathers saw, that Moses saw at Sinai, is still our God today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13.8 tells us. Jesus is always the same. He doesn't change. He is the same power He has been. That same power, by the way, is available for you in your life today. This God who pours the rain and sticks the chariot, this God who shakes the mountains, this God who parts the seas, this power and wonder of the so-called Old Testament is the same God. The same God who went to the cross. The same God who busted out of the tomb. That power is available to you and me today. Because He is the same God. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or You gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. He is always God. He is always the same. Now verse 6, Deborah goes on, she sings, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. And travelers went by roundabout ways. The peasantry, or rural population, the rural population ceased. They ceased in Israel. In other words, everybody fled to the cities where it was safe. And she says, until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. Deborah is now singing back again of the contemporary situation. And she's saying no one traveled in these days for fear of danger the last 20 years of this slavery everybody was afraid to even be on the road the rural population moved to the safer involved towns and cities for safety until Deborah the mother arose and I really like this about Deborah take note of this she doesn't call herself Deborah who stings like a bee she doesn't call herself Deborah the deliverer Deborah the great one she calls herself mom for all these other titles and designations of this woman of God, she says, I am a mother in Israel, first and foremost. She is a prophetess. She's a warrior and a deliverer and a judge, but she identifies herself with her most primary role, that of being a mother. To Deborah, it was her most important position. And to you moms today, listen, there is no more important role you have than that. No more important role. And we live in a culture that has sadly said that being a stay-at-home mom is, you know, that's okay for you. But a real woman of America is a woman who has it all. Who has the husband and the kids, you know, but she has the job and the, and the success and the career and all that. And I'm here to tell you, Deborah, this judge of Israel, the most powerful woman in all of Israel, says, if you want to remember me for anything, remember I'm a mom. Remember, I'm a mother. 
It's her first and most important ministry. Moms, I pray and I hope that it is your first and most important ministry as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. A somewhat uh, difficult verse for some people. It says that women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now you ladies, if you haven't heard that, might want to look that up and struggle with it a bit. And I know right now you're looking at me going, okay, Rick, you are about as male chauvinist as they come. Listen, women, Bible says, women will be saved through the bearing of children. So you're saying if I'm a woman and I don't have children or haven't given birth to children, that I'm not going to be saved? No, that's not what I'm saying. Paul uses this word, and it's an interesting word. The word we hear for saved is sozo in the Greek. Sozo. But sozo doesn't just mean saved. Sozo also literally means made whole. Made whole. What Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2.15 is women will find their greatest satisfaction, will find their greatest fulfillment, will find their, their sense of, of, of purpose through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, listen also to this because I need to speak to you ladies who are not moms and who don't have kids. There is a place in God's economy for all women whether you have children or not. Some women are called not to have children. They're called to a life where they couldn't do the ministry God calls them to and have kids at home. But what Paul is telling to the mothers specifically is your greatest satisfaction in the world will be in the raising of your kids. Don't have children and then run off off to find your satisfaction somewhere else because you're going to be dissatisfied. And later on in your life you're going to look back at those children that you tried to raise and you're going to go, I blew it. That was where I needed to be. And Paul's saying, moms, now be where you should be. You will be, you will be made whole. Through the bearing of children. You will be made whole through the bearing of children. Not in battle, not in heroics, not in office success or deliverance, or even spiritual leadership over men. That is not where you'll you'll find your satisfaction. The deepest and greatest will be in being a mom. And ladies, it's not Pastor Rick talking here. It's the Lord. Talk to him about it. Verse 8 of Judges chapter 5. Deborah goes on singing her song. New gods were chosen. And then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. And this was their problem. They compromised. They chased after other gods until they were weak and defenseless. Until they couldn't even raise a shield. Because they were so compromised. And so they became crushed. Verse 9, she sings, My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, the volunteers among the people. Bless the Lord! You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and who travel, you who travel on the road, sing! Verse 11, At the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord, the righteous deeds for His peasantry in Israel. And then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. And she's singing this song. And she talks about, interestingly, those who ride on white donkeys and those who sit on rich carpets will tell this story and will share this and will speak of the greatness of the Lord. And we know of one who rode on a donkey. 
To ride on a white donkey in the day indicated a rabbi or a wise counselor. You and I know of a rabbi who rode a donkey. We know of a rabbi who, like those who sit on rich carpets, the judges would sit on a carpet, the governors would sit on rich carpets from which to judge. We know a rabbi, we know a judge who rode a donkey, who judges from that place of judgment. It's Jesus who taught in the hills of Galilee like the governors would. He rode that donkey into Jerusalem. And Isaiah 9.6 calls him our wonderful counselor. Our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. So we see a picture of Jesus right there. Those who ride on white donkeys and sit on rich carpets. And who travel on the road. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. And it says, sing. Sing what? Sing the praises of the Lord. And Jesus did that. And every time Jesus did a miracle, what did people do? They praised the God of Israel. As Jesus said to us, live your lives in such a way that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, Deborah moves into this section of the song. It's the rest of her song. And she starts going back between Deborah's Hall of Fame and Deborah's Hall of Shame. She's going to talk about those famous people who deserve mention and deserve honor. And she's going to talk about some losers as well. Verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then survivors came down to the nobles, and the people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. And now the Hall of Fame from Ephraim. Those whose root is an Amalek came down, following you, Benjamin with your peoples. From Makir, and Makir, by the way, is another name for Manasseh. So the commanders came down from Manasseh. And from Zebulun, those who wield the staff of office. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. These are great tribes, these five tribes Deborah is praising for their valiant fighting. Ephraim, Benjamin, Matir, or Manasseh, Zebulun and Issachar, five tribes. And she says, look at these tribes, they did great, way to go guys, I'm proud of you. And then she taunts and humiliates those tribes who held back. Deborah's hall of shame. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. There's great sarcasm in this part of the song, by the way. Because she says, why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping for the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. What is she talking about here? Reuben overthinks it. Reuben really intended to maybe consider possibly uh, thinking about maybe if there's opportunity joining the, the battle. You know, if they could get around to it. But, boy, we really... Boy, the, my heart's resolved. I want to see this go well for Israel. And, boy, you think... What do you guys think? You think we should... I don't know. Well, let's go out to the sheep pen and let's talk about it some more. Well, let's, let's sit in the sheep fold and let's consider the battle. Boy, yeah. Can you see them fighting out there? You think we should be with them? Oh, boy, I don't know. I, my heart tells me we should. Let's talk about it some more. I think that being here, this is a good place for us really to process. Maybe we should pray some more about it. Let's pray about whether or not we should engage in the battle. Battle's raging on. Oh, look at that. Wow. Barak's doing good. Great, Barak. Okay. I really think we should join them, but I'm not sure if we should yet. Let's pray a little bit more about it. Let's, let's sit here in the sheepfold a little bit longer. Man, it's a picture of so many churches today. The sheepfold. 
Let's talk about it. Let's gather and pray about it. Let's think it through. Oh, we don't want to get too far out ahead of the Lord. And there's so many times, gang, when the Lord is out ahead of us saying, Come on, let's fight. The battle's raging. You can hear the cries of people around you. The cries of the lost. Yeah, I know, boy. But, but, but we got to talk about it a little bit more. We need more time to pray. We, we need to really, really kind of... We need to wait on the Lord. I've shared this before, gang. This whole idea of waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is never a passive thing. The word wait on the Lord. You've heard the, the famous verse, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. But the word wait is not sit on your haunches and do nothing. The word wait is not sit and wait and wait and wait. And, and if, if the Lord tells me to move, I'll move. The word wait, kava in the Hebrew, means to eagerly look for. Waiting on the Lord is being at the door going, Alright, the second He says go, I'm out of here. The second the Father says run, I am in the race. The second the first gunshot is heard, I am in the battle. The first flash of a sword, I am fighting. I'm waiting expectantly for what God's going to do next. And man, when He does it, I am there. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Paul says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And I think, how, Paul? How do we do that? And Paul says, looking for, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Why? Why does just looking for Jesus coming, what, what impact does that have? Dramatic impact, Paul would say. Because if you're looking for the Lord to come, and you're expecting Him, and you know He could be there at any moment, it will impact the life that you're living right now. You cannot sit in the sheepfold and talk about the battle when you're expecting the commander to come riding in at any moment. Your sword is drawn. You're ready to go. You're in the fray. You're involved. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm waiting, but man, I'm on my toes. Listen, Paul talked a lot about waiting on the Lord. How did he live his life? What was Paul doing while he was saying, wait on the Lord? He was planting churches. He was out working for it. He was writing letters. He was going back and forth. He was all over the place until he was in prison. And they tried to pin him down. And while they were trying to pin him down, he got his pin out. And he just started writing letters. And we've got him. Paul was a busy man waiting on the Lord. Eagerly expectant for the return of the Lord. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, after detailing God's global warming, Peter tells us to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. And that's waiting on the Lord. That's what waiting on the Lord truly is. It's expectant, anticipatory, and ready to jump in. And the problem with Reuben is they had great resolve of heart, but they did nothing. They sat back in the sheep pen, in the sheepfold. And church people, sometimes we do the very same thing. We sit in the sheep pen where it's comfortable and safe and we never engage in the real battle that's out there. And I'm not saying don't show up on Wednesday night. No, this is where you get your armament. This is where you get your preparation. This is where the training happens. But once the training is over, go get in the war. Engage in the battle. Fight for the lost and captive souls. 
that right now Satan has in his grip. Well, going on, Judges 5.17, a little more hall of shame. We see uh, Gilead, which is Gad, another, another uh, termination for Gad there. Gilead remained across the Jordan. They never even crossed the river to come fight. And why did Dan stay in ships? And Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Gad and Dan and Asher, they never showed up. Gad stays on the east side of the Jordan. They're saying, that's not my war. That's their war. It's not my, it's not my ministry. <laughs> if someone else is not, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to fight on the other. I'll, I'll fight if it comes here, but I'm not, I'm not called to help out over there. It's not my thing. Dan's ships never came in. They're out there sailing on the Mediterranean. They see this war happening. Oh, let's stay out here and cruise a little longer. <laughs> let's enjoy the, the cruise ship mentality. We're just going to enjoy ourselves and ignore what's going on on land. Asher, Asher never left the seashore, she says. And this is dripping of sarcasm. Asher were a bunch of beach bums. They just hung out with their toes in the sand and they never helped us out in battle. Deborah's hall of shame. But now she returns to her hall of fame. Verse 18. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death. They were fighting men and naturally also on the high places of the field. These two tribes, way to go, Zebulun, way to go, Naphtali. They went above and beyond the call of duty. They despised their own lives because there was a higher call. Keep your finger here and flip over to Luke 17 real quick. Luke 17. Verse 28. Considering those who would rather engage in the battle because they despise even their own lives. Their own lives don't matter. My life here, it doesn't matter. It's my life there. That's what I'm fighting for. And it's the lives of people who are lost around me. They're who I'm fighting for. That's what matters to me. And Jesus said... He says in verse 28 of Luke 17, It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and they were drinking and they were buying and they were selling and they were planting and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And he says it will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to get them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Where is Zebulun and Naphtali? They're on the high places like the housetop. They're fighting in the field. They don't care about their lives. They're out there in the fray. And Jesus is saying, man, you're fighting the battle. On that day, don't turn back. You stick. You stay in the battle until I return. He says, remember, verse 33, Lot's wife. I kind of wish there was a soundtrack every now and then with Scripture. Because that verse would be followed by, dun, dun, dun. Remember Lot's wife. Salty gal. (laughs) What did Lot's wife do? She turned back. And was immediately turned into a pillar of salt. One of the great stories in scripture. One of the tragic stories. And he said whoever. Listen. Whoever seeks to keep his life. Will lose it. But whoever loses his life. Will preserve it. Oh. Oh. That is Zebulun. They didn't worry about their lives. They were just fighting for God's people. Zebulun was. If you seek to keep your life. You're going to lose it. If you lose your life. You'll preserve it. And he says verse 34. I tell you. On that night. There will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other 
will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Now listen. This is important. He's talking about the rapture of the church. And there are some theologians and some Bible scholars and Bible students who believe that when the rapture happens, who have actually raised the question, is it possible that those who are taken are actually evil ones who God is just taking out? And the righteous are left. And it's not possible. Why is that? Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife is a picture of those who are left, not of those who are pulled out. Lot and his two daughters are pulled out and rescued. They are a picture of the rapture of the church. Lot's wife, that Jesus says, remember her, because that's what being left behind is going to look like. She's left behind, and she looks to the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah, and is instantaneously turned into that pillar of salt. Jesus, he makes it so clear here, and I hadn't even seen this honestly till this week. For those who ask the rapture question, well, who's really being taken out? The church is. Because those left behind are going to be like Lot's wife. Now, I know, by the way, that I tend to go this direction. <laughs> talk about the rapture, talk about the second coming of Jesus. Probably a good chance, even though we're in Judges, you're going to hear about it many more times. It's a good chance if you show up on a Wednesday night, Rick is probably going to at some point mention Jesus coming to take us home. Why is that? Because Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, comfort each other with these words. Think about this. This is a motivating factor. John said it in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 or 4 there. He says, man, thinking about the coming of Jesus purifies your life. Because it keeps you in a constant state of preparation and readiness. So that's why I keep talking about it. And you might say, Rick, I don't want to be left behind. Great. Then keep watch. Be an active waiter for the Lord. Be one who's looking for the coming. Verse 19 going on. Back to, I think, the hall of... Are we still in the hall of shame? Yeah, still the hall of shame. We're back to the hall of shame. He says, The kings came and fought, and they fought the kings of Canaan at Teonic near the waters of Megiddo. And they took no plunder in silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. There is, there is supernatural stuff that was happening in this battle. We can't even determine beyond the rain what exactly was going on there. But the torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my strength, march on. Or all oh, my soul, march on with strength, she says. And then verse 22. Then the horse's hoofs beat from the dashing and the dashing of his valiant steeds. Cursed Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? I believe it's Jesus. I believe every time you see this in the Hebrew Scriptures, we're talking about Jesus. The angel, the messenger of the Lord, this, this pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And he says, curse Miraz. Utterly curse its inhabitants. Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the warriors. Now listen. This is a hall of shame moment. Miraz, they've just recently come to understand Miraz was apparently a city in Israel in the day right near Mount Tabor. For a long time, Bible scholars weren't sure, what's this Miraz? Who is this or where is it? Miraz was a city there at the heart of the very battle. And the angel of the Lord, or in this case again, I believe Jesus says, they are cursed. And you don't want to hear the judge say that you're cursed. 
Jesus is cursing Moraz. Why? Because they are in the midst of the battle and they refuse to engage. The battle is raging all around them and they stay in the city. They hole up, they wall up in this so-called safe place. Keeping themselves protected. Just like Reuben in the sheep, sheep pen is mirage in the city. They will not go out. And the question, gang, that we need to answer, and I give it to you to answer on your own, there is a spiritual battle that is raging all around us. Our question is this. Will we be among those who sit back while the battle rages on? Will I be Zebulun and Naphtali? Or will I be Reuben and Miraz? Where am I going to be in the battle that is happening right now? Back to Deborah's Hall of Fame. The last one mentioned in the Hall of Fame is the woman, J.L. Remember that she is the one now who is honored, not Barak. Deborah said earlier, prophesied, a woman is going to have the place of honor, not you, Barak. Verse 24, most blessed of women is J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. She asked for wa- he asked for water and she gave him milk in a magnificent bowl. She brought him curds. And he reached out, she reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. Then she struck Sisera. She smashed his head. <laughs> she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay. Between her feet he bowed, he fell. And where he bowed, there he fell dead. Now listen, this is interesting. Jael was not a Hebrew. Jael was not Jewish. Remember, she's a Kenite. She is a Gentile. This Gentile woman, she stood for Israel. And if there was a bumper sticker on the door of her tent, it would have said, where Israel stands, I stand with him. Because she was willing to stand up and fight for Israel. She receives the highest place of honor in this battle. And I have come to understand and absolutely believe, my friends, this is another key to the Christian life. God said to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. Talking to Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people. Psalm 122, verse 8 says, For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, May peace be within you, Jerusalem. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I will be among those who seek your good. I saw a movie this last week that just ticked me off. Oh, it made me so mad. It's a good movie. Back in 1992 it was made. Starring Brendan Fraser. It was kind of, I don't think, I never heard of it back then. It's called School Ties. Brendan Fraser plays a football player, an excellent football player, who is invited to come spend the senior year at a prep school, a Harvard prep school, with all these real wealthy white kids, and, and he's Jewish. And so this Jewish boy comes in and the coach tells him right off the bat on the first day, don't tell him about yourself. Just don't say anything. Just leave some things unsaid. And he gets along great. And he's popular. And the guys like him. The girls like him. And he plays great football. And everybody's happy until they find out that he's a Jew. And this happens in 1950. And the anti-Semitism among these Christian boys is its horrible. And by the end of the movie, I'm just angry. I'm thinking, man, at least show some respect 
But brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus, we have a call on our lives not only to respect, but to love the people of Israel. To stand for and with the people that God has called His own that He still has a plan for. For the sake of the house of our Lord, the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Paul says in Romans 11.18, Do not be arrogant toward the branches who are Israel. But remember that it's not you who supports the root, but the root, Israel, supports you. And Paul says, all Israel down in verse 26 of Romans 11, all Israel will be saved, just as is written, the deliverer, the deliverer, the judge, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And that's the deal. The deliverer is coming. The judge will return. He delivered you and me. Praise God, He delivered us. But He also has another people that He will deliver. The people of Israel. And He will deliver them by their faith in Jesus Christ when they finally figure out that Yeshua HaMashiach is Yeshua their Mashiach, the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And He will deliver believing Israel at a time yet future. And we are told, stand with them. Stand for them. Support them. Now, Deborah ends her song, her poetic song, with all the pathos of the heart, again, of a mother. Verse 28. Out of the window she looked and lamented the mother of Sisera through the lattice. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariots tarry? And her wise princesses would answer her. Indeed, she repeats her words to herself. Are, are they not finding? Are they not dividing the spoil? A maiden, two maidens for every warrior to Sisera, a spoil of dyed work, a spoil of dyed work embroidered, dyed work of double embroidery on the neck of the spoiler. What she's doing is she's, she's relating to Sisera's mother. Sisera, this commander of the evil enemy, who is now dead, nailed to the ground. And Deborah says... I wonder what his mother's doing right now. This is a passionate heart. This is a compassionate heart. This is not a heart that a father would have. I'd be going, yeah! Check out his head in the ground. That's gross. Cool. But Deborah the mother says, Sisera's mom is looking out of the door of the tent and she's saying, where's my son? Where is he? He's lost. He's not back yet. Well, well maybe, maybe they're just dividing up the spoil. Maybe they're dividing up the women, you know, a maiden, two maidens for every man, because they did that in those days. The spoil of battle was not just treasures, it was the women as well. Maybe they're just getting the women. Maybe his sister is busy getting some spoil of dyed work or, or embroidery, double dyed work on, on the neck of the spoiler, and while she's hoping for dyed embroidered spoil, her, gun, her, her son has actually died at the feet of Jael, and it's tragic. And it's tragic because Sisera is lost and the voice of a mother at the end of the song is crying out, Where is my son who is lost? Where is my lost son? Verse 31, she says thus, Let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years. Two last things and we're done. Let those who love him. I, this just, it captures my attention every time I see it in scripture. 
We're in the midst of this poem of this awesome battle. And this woman who stood up and pegged the guy to the ground. And you know, this, this great fight and this bloodiness. And God's winning and all oh, the warfare. And it always comes back to this. Love the Lord. Love Him. And you see this throughout the pages. Everything that we've studied, it keeps coming back to this, this passion, this relationship. It's not fall to your knees before the Lord and, and shout to the God who is a great deliverer, although He is and although we should, but never saying to all who will listen, pay attention, love the Lord. Just love Him. Why, Deborah? Because He loves you, which is why He has delivered you. And finally she says the land was undisturbed for 40 years. 40 years in the Bible is roughly a generation. 40 years could be, a generation could be as long as 100 years, but in most cases in the Bible we see 40 years is the length of a generation. And with one exception in the book of Judges, every single generation has to have their own deliverer raised up. Every generation needs a deliverer. Every generation needs someone to come and show them the way out of bondage. And it's been that way ever since. This generation needs a deliverer. This generation needs Jesus Christ and needs us to be a vocal mouthpiece. For this generation, Israel's generation in the time, it was Deborah, a mother, a prophetess, a warrior, a judge, a deliverer. But in this generation, ours... Who among us are going to stand up and cry out the name of the Deliverer to see people saved? I hope it's you. I pray it's me. Let's ask the Lord for that courage. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the story of Deborah. We look forward to hearing more and studying more deeply on Sunday. But for now, Lord, we thank You for raising up this mother in Israel. This woman who is not afraid to sit and listen to You be in relationship with you and talk with you. This woman who is not afraid to command an army. Thank you, Lord, for showing us this picture. Thank you, Lord, for J.L., who is honored. Thank you for showing us this Gentile woman who stands with Israel against the enemy. May we learn something of J.L.'s attitude and heart. But most of all, Father, I pray that you will raise us up in this generation. Give us voice. I know, Father, we're on a tiny little island up in the northern corner of the nation. I know it's easy to think with such little towns like Oak Harbor and Anacortes, how much of an impact can we really have on the kingdom? But God, you have placed us here. And you are, even tonight in our study, you are calling us out to be voices in this wilderness. And to cry out the name of the Deliverer, God, give us the boldness to do that. May the name of Jesus ever be on our lips. And tonight, Father, will you send us out of the sheep pen so that we can be among those who are not concerned with our own lives but are concerned with the lost. And we pray for those who are lost right now, Father. Give us divine appointments and opportunity to speak the name of Jesus to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll talk a little more about Deborah on Sunday.